Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore hey it's Alora Nanos and Matthew Zachary and you're listening to Health Careless a new original segment from Out of Patients, where Matt and I round up the latest news in healthcare fuckery and patient shit shows. Each week, you'll get a no-nonsense recap of recent headlines brought to you by two longtime friends and healthcare consumers who are short on patients but long on advocacy. I'm a lawyer, and Matt's a cancer survivor and patient advocate. We've been friends since our high school band days, and we're psyched that you're joining us as we break down what's happening and how we feel about it. So buckle up. we met <laughs> Matt what happened to Vaxon well we decided it was time to put it to bed just for now but don't worry I'm still here and Wait. we can still rant well we did a show about that right yes we did we did a I'm whole sorry show I, I, my meds are not due till tomorrow it's totally okay and I'm gonna just walk you through it and it's gonna be fine and there's gonna be complaining and there's gonna be stories and it's gonna be totally okay hold me <laughs> <laughs> I will. Don't you worry. All right. Great. Stevie Wonder, don't you worry about I a thing. <laughs> and to you, the listener, thank you so much for continuing to stick around with us for this segment. Elora and I are excited to pivot and bring you more healthcare fuckery than just limited to crazy infectious diseases that ruin everything and make Uncrustables unpurchasable. <laughs> So, Matt, did you hear about the big things happening over at the CDC? Did they decide to start saying Centers for Disease Control and abandon the acronym? Also, why are they centers plural? I never understand that. Maybe there's like the um, attorneys general. Is it like the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Yes. Like, I don't understand why it's the centers. Yeah. It's been annoying me since 2020. <laughs> well, maybe there's more than one center. Why would there be more than one center? Shouldn't there be just one center it's like for the two disease centers, control? It's like the circle has two centers. <laughs> if there are two centers for disease control, you know something will get fucked up because they'll never talk to each other. All right. We're going to go on a radical national campaign to de-pluralize the CDC. That's going to be my my congressional platform. <laughs> one center. One center for all. We don't need two centers. Kill the S. <laughs> Kill Maybe. the S. <laughs> That's going to be my platform. 
<laughs> but guess what's happening over there? They are rebooting themselves from scratch, aren't they? Yeah, and I didn't even know that they needed a reboot, but apparently they do. Apparently they're all colors are fucked up over there, so they're deciding to change things. Well, I don't think that's a surprise. It's, they, they've been a calamity catastrophe since COVID, and not, not for any deleterious reasons. That's a fancy word for the day. It wasn't malevolent or on purpose. They're just the government, and they don't but, work. Yes, and see, that's I guess that's why I'm surprised, because... They are just the government and big government stuff usually doesn't work so well. So I'm sort of surprised that the government's like, you know what? This is messed up. Let's fix the whole thing. Let's just like redo it. Like the government looked themselves in the mirror and said, ah, way too fat. Right. Right. Like, and I was like, wait a minute, you can do that? <laughs> and and if you can, you should do it with like the IRS too and like all the other agencies. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of those things that can be looked in the mirror and say, holy shit, I'm really fat. <laughs> right. Like things are a shit show. But so so this is what's going on over there. Rochelle Walensky, who she is the appointed director of the CDC, she appointed Mary Wakefield, who is a former Obama administrator also a nurse. And now Mary Wakefield is like supposed to come in and like she's the new sheriff in town at the CDC. Apparently, um, this lady, Wakefield, she's going to come in and she's just going to like fix the whole thing. And, you know, I just thought we should we should talk about, you know, what's happening. The CDC has a $12 billion budget and over 11,000 employees. So it's like pretty big. Yeah, that is a whoppingly massive company, even though it's the government. It's in like Bethesda, Maryland, I think. It's in Atlanta. I had no idea. Oh, it is. You know, I knew that because it was in The Walking Dead season one. I should have remembered that. Oh, is that, that right? Yeah. I had no idea it was in Atlanta. And my first thought was, can Stacey Abrams just go there and figure that right, shit right. out? <laughs> but yeah, apparently, like, we're still figuring out what changes are going to actually go into effect. But Mary Wakefield is tasked with restructuring things and fixing communications and this was one change that seemed like a good idea. So agency leaders who their jobs are devoted to outbreak response, they have to stay at their post for at least six months so that it's not like people constantly turning over in their jobs, which seems like a good idea because as you have constant job turnover, knowledge gets lost and you know things are just a disaster. If you're working on contagious disease response, you got to stay there for like six months so that we don't have constantly people coming and going. So that seems like it makes sense. Why don't we mandate that if you're going to work in contagious disease, you have to have it first. <laughs> um, vetoed. No. Ebola survivors only. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um, that's not a good idea. All right, no. So we got to get Walensky on the show to depluralize the CDC. Is that a goal? Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> can we say, hi, the only thing we want to talk about is why is it plural and can we stop that? Yes, exactly. Goals. That would be fabulous. Goals. Yeah. So uh, the former HHS secretary, Kathleen Sebelius, she said that Wakefield is a change agent. So, I mean, that sounds like a good thing. She seems like the right person to do this. And um, I want somebody to call me a change agent or just any agent. Uh, more stupid syllables, right? Change agent. I mean, that's three syllables. Not horrible. Not as bad as monkeypox, but still. No. Anyone that says they're a change agent is not a change agent. No one calls themselves. No, no. She didn't call herself a change agent. Kathleen Sebelius called Wakefield the change agent. Okay, great. Okay. So, it was like a nice accolade. Uh, I'll give it Matt, a... Matt, will you call... Can you call me a change agent? I'll give it a six and a half. <laughs> Listen, I'm putting change agent on my list of things that I'd like to be called. It's third, because the first thing I'd like to be named is some kind of a czar, <laughs> you know, like the drug czar or like something like that. And, and Czar. 
Yeah, and on Crustable Czar, that would be fun. And if I can't be a czar, I would very much like to be on a task force of some kind. Well, what I like about Wakefield, and you know, I, I know of her, you know, she's a nurse. So she, she at least comes with a medical background, medical training, and a level of empathy that isn't all government bureaucracy business mind. Right. So it, it's possible that there could be a level – and she's a woman, which is nice because you want a different perspective on like a largely all-male-led government industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it all seems good. I, I do think the fact that she's a nurse is really important. You know, I know sometimes in government agencies, what you have is people going from agency to agency without any subject matter expertise. And that might work absolutely fine when it's like two agencies that it doesn't, you know, you don't need the subject matter expertise for. But in in this case, I think we all have seen that we we want anybody who's working for the CDC to like know something about healthcare, that would be a smart place to start. I'm going to agree. And going back to my ad agency days, one of the greatest rebrand refreshes of all time was GMC's Hummer. The GMC Hummer was the God's awful worst vehicle to possibly drive on the highways. It was a symbol of greed, disgustingness, bad fuel economy. And now it's back again, not a sponsor, as a brand new electric vehicle that gets a thousand miles a gallon, a thousand horsepower, and is the best manly man electric car possible. So great rebrand of a terrible automobile that's going to be better for the earth. And may the CDC even come remotely close to that level of good branding. There you go. And you know, my lease is up soon, so I'll go check it out. (laughs) You know, you have the roads in Jersey to get that electric Hummer. I do. I could have used it today. (laughs) Right. Your torrential downpours. Seriously. All right. Well, sounds good. So good luck to Mary Wakefield. Yes. Please, please depluralize. Depluralize. That is my platform. Depluralize. All right. You know what else I have for you today, Matt? What do you have for me today? I have a monkeypox update. I just said that word. I know you did. You love talking about monkeypox. I know you do. It is the most onomatopoetic disease possible. Come on. Because Work it sounds me. like what it feels like. It sounds like what it Saying feels like. it sounds like a sore. Monkey pox. Yes. <sighs> yeah. It's it's not good. It, it, I mean, things are maybe, – maybe you can tell me how to feel. I'm a little conflicted because it sounds like it's both getting worse and getting better <laughs> because here's what's going on. Texas health officials said that in late August, someone diagnosed with monkeypox died, and that was the United States' first known monkeypox fatality. Is that because they had monkeypox? Of course, they were in Texas. Uh, well, who knows? I will say this. The Texas patient was someone who is severely immunocompromised. Mm. And there's still testing being done to see, was it really monkeypox? Could it have been something else that killed this person? So it's not clear to what extent monkeypox really is a fatal illness. Generally speaking, we don't consider it a fatal illness. There have been 15 fatalities reported globally out of 47,000 cases. So obviously, even if it is occasionally fatal, it's really, really very occasionally. So, I mean, that's terrible that one person died from monkeypox. It doesn't seem like the risk of death is a major risk numbers wise. And, And the countries that have reported the 15 deaths so far, Cuba, Brazil, Ecuador, Ghana, India, Nigeria, Spain, and the Central African Republic. And Texas. And Texas, which, what do these things have in common? (laughs) (laughs) However, though, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, who we just talked about. I know that that name. You do know it. Said that health officials are cautiously optimistic that the spread of monkeypox may be slowing because cases are falling in major cities. So that's really important. 
Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the other show, in fact, on about how this is disproportionately affecting certain communities, particularly gay and bisexual men, and that, you know, heeding the warnings of the cautionary tales of the 80s and 90s, perhaps those public health messages are resonating and they're taking more precautions. I think that may be true. And while it is a virus that can affect anyone, the numbers have been particularly high within the gay and bisexual male community. And we have seen messaging go very much toward that community. And we've seen that community be prioritized for vaccines because vaccines are in short supply. And I know just anecdotally, many of my gay and bisexual male friends have run out and gotten the monkeypox vaccine. And I mean, certainly if you have one group of people who seems disproportionately affected by an illness and they are given priority to preventative measures, then that should be a good thing. And maybe that's why the spread of the virus is slowing. I think certainly also just general education about it is is should be slowing. That should be working for everyone. I mean, just knowing that it exists, how it is spread and what can be done to prevent the spread is probably the most important way to slow things down. Right. Unlike COVID, where there was no vaccine, there already was a monkeypox vaccine. But this kind of echoes of like, where does the supply chain of monkeypox need to live? Is there a repository? Does it expire? You know, and, and how do we be prepared to vaccinate 50, 100,000 people in a month or two if this becomes an outbreak? Regardless, anyway, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm for future casting doom scrolling in my own head. Right now, the federal government has distributed 1.5 million doses of the vaccine. And they're saying that 3 million should be available like soon. And one of the things that it, it, it's good, it sort of made me chuckle a little, is that apparently they've also discovered a new way to give the vaccine, which is intradermally, meaning between the layers of the skin rather than subcutaneously, which is in the fatty layer below the skin. I don't need to know this, like how they're giving the shots. Both of those words sound gross to me. But the difference is meaning that a vial of the vaccine can produce five shots instead of four shots, which is great because they're making it go farther. And that's important when there's a shortage of the vaccine. So like they're watering down the soup, but it still works. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the vaccine equivalent of putting extra water in the dish detergent bottle at the end. I, or like like the soap is a little looser on the right. sink. Yeah. It still gets the dishes clean. <laughs> but it, it works enough. Exactly. Yeah, it's like good enough. By the way, subcutaneously, another one of my favorite onomatopoetic words in medicine. It is? Yes. It is one of my least favorite words. It makes me want to vomit as soon as I hear it. You know what it means? It's Latin, right? Yeah, it means under the skin, under right? Under the skin, exactly. I don't like it. However, weirdly, I like transdermal. <laughs> I don't know Not why. intradermal or transdermal? I don't really like intradermal, but I like transdermal. I think I like trans words like because I feel like I know that that means like a cross. So right. I just like it. <laughs> More fun with words we like and hate. We're going to take a trans break right now <laughs> for some trans advertising. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we're back. Elura, enlighten me. What is our next fabulous story? So I'm a lawyer, and I still am a lawyer, even on healthcare less. And I thought I would bring you a um, fun legal story. I'd love to hear what you think about this. All right. So so this is legal healthcare fuckery. Yeah, it's not so much healthcare, but it's more health. Here's what's going on. The state of Delaware issued a vanity license plate to this woman. She, you know, she requested a license plate and they issued it to her. And the license plate said F cancer. Like the letter like just F? The words, yeah, just F cancer. Like as if it's one word. That's what for it cancer. Says. Like for cancer, right? And the woman, her name is Carrie Lynn Overington. She is a breast cancer survivor. And she felt that this vanity plate that said F cancer was like great messaging that she wanted because she is proud of her status as a cancer survivor. And absolutely good for her. Good for her indeed. Absolutely. So she applied for this vanity plate. She got the vanity plate. And then two months later, the Delaware Department of Motor Vehicles told her she has to give it back. So wait, the DMV issued the plate, said Godspeed, go forth, and then became a de-gifter after re-gifting. Yeah. Did I say that right? Like what the Seinfeld de-gifter? They took yeah. it back. They like gave it and then they took it away, the license plate. How biblical of you. Very nice. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, this lady, and I have to say like good for her, she sued in federal court and she goes on her own without a lawyer and sues the Delaware Motor Vehicles Department for a First Amendment violation. And wait, she said- Wait, was her case it, no backsies? <laughs> her case was no backsies. <laughs> she said, this is a First Amendment violation and the First Amendment protects my right to say what I want in this context. And I should have the right to have that on my license plate. So what happened was the judge who heard the case, and even though, I mean, literally her complaint is like this handwritten thing that's like a paragraph long. The judge who heard it said, you know, this sounds like a really actual, serious constitutional issue. And- the, the problem, though, of course, is this is not something that's worth a lot of money. So it wouldn't probably be in this lady's best interest to go out and hire a private lawyer to bring the case because it would be really expensive. And of course, the judge knows that. So the judge directed the court clerk to assign someone an amicus, like some lawyer to sort of help the case out. And then the ACLU caught wind of it and they decided to take up the case themselves on her behalf. So she got counsel because like the word got out that she didn't have counsel. Exactly. Like word got out, the ACLU takes up the case. And the interesting legal question is, is this public speech, because it's a state issued 
license plate or is it private speech because it's her vanity plate? And so it's legally it's going to it's going to be an interesting issue. But, you know, the state said that it didn't it didn't represent their values because it, it included some profanity. But even it though didn't. it was like it, it alluded didn't. to profanity. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it alluded to profanity. And I think that everyone knows what it means. And it was a, it's a clear message. And it is not a message that is a profane or obscene message. I don't think anyone legally would believe this to be an obscene or profane message. It's just a question of whether she has the right to say whatever she feels like or whether Delaware has the right to tell her she can't. Well, it's a slippery slope, too, because you could put lots of stuff on license plates that's extraordinarily offensive and they would. But if the DMV allowed it, can they just say no oops? Who knows? Like they can. It really depends on what the court ends up saying, because the question and there are a lot of cases, by the way, going on about license plates, because there's one case going on in New Hampshire about this person did not want a license plate that said live free or die, which is the state motto. Mm -hmm. And they said, I'm not putting it out of my car. And um, the state was like, well, you have to because that's our license plate. So there's like all these different license plate issues. And it's not exactly clear whether it's a state government speech or whether it's individual speech. So it's going to come down to this interesting First Amendment issue. But it's kind of like I, I wish that Delaware just hadn't done this because I feel like if this woman wants to put her status as a cancer survivor on her license plate, I think that's overwhelmingly a positive thing to do. I can see all of the flashers living in Missouri embracing the legalities of the show me state. <laughs> I don't want you to show me anything. I mean, you could put Brandon on a license plate that can be misinterpreted in a thousand ways. What if that guy's name is that, just Brandon? Right. That's true. I mean, and, but I think it's it's like they just didn't like it. They didn't like that it alluded to profanity. But where's the slope? Right. Where's I the think, slope? I think she should go there and say, OK, change it to F Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> if she wrote FDMV, no one would have probably even noticed. I just feel like it's, you know, it, it, you're right. It, the government did issue the plate. So is it a government federal issue or was her selection of the language on the plate her freedom to express herself? And yet the government allowed it. Right. It, it's really interesting to see like what, you know, it, it from a First Amendment standpoint, it's not a really clear analysis. It might be government speech. And if so, it has one set of rules that apply. It might be private individual speech. If so, it's a whole bunch of different rules that apply. So we're going to have to wait and see what the court says. But it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting case. So I, we should all be be looking out for what happens. And I think it's it's cool that the ACLU, you know, heard of it and immediately decided to bring it forward. I, I was glad to see I was just glad to see that that she's going to get her day in court without having to go into her own pocket for tons of money. I mean, as someone who recently saw a plate in New Jersey called Ballers, B-A-L-L-3-R-S. <laughs> Thank you, Jersey. True story. Yeah. Let's see where this goes. Alrighty, friends, that's our show. But before we go, we'd love to have you, Laura, tell you all the headlines not to miss and things you should know about. Matt, first, the good news. The Omicron boosters are out. Yay. Yay. Time for everybody to go out and get some shots. Stop yourself from getting Omicron this holiday season. I'm getting so, mine. Yep, I am too. I can't wait. But I mean, we don't want to go with all the good news. So I just wanted to leave you out with some bad news. That's my girl. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. life expectancy has fallen again in a historic setback. 
It used to be that Americans could expect to live until 79, but now we can only expect to live until 76. I mean, who needs that? <laughs> You're just like living on Ben Gay and cortisone, so. So we're going to leave you with how we're all going to die sooner than we expected. <laughs> and the Uncrustables might make a comeback in 2027. Let's hope. I'm sure that's contributing to the death. (laughs) Well, welcome to our very first segment of Health Careless, the new evolution of Vaxxon Elora Nanos. You are awesome. I love you. Thank you for joining us. And listeners, we'll see you back here next time on Out of Patience. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary and the Health Careless segment is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary, Elora Nanos, and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Sarah Rosa Davies. It's mixed and edited by Sarah Rosa Davies and Kyle Moore. Shout out to Brianna Seely for added support. And special thanks to our segment co-host, Elora Nanos. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.